Gospel of John, that is, chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. And as Jesus passed by, He saw a man which was blind from his birth. And His disciples asked Him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we gather here, we find one truth always remains. That Jesus Christ has come to reveal you, is one with you, and desires relationship with each one of us to connect with us, to be one with us in all things. And not only is that true, Heavenly Father, He is the only way to get to you. The only way to find the peace and the joy and the celebration of who you are in us and in eternity. So I'm asking this morning, Heavenly Father, that you would speak to us. And Heavenly Father, more than that, that we would see and hear clearly what you have wanted us to hear this morning. I know how transforming this can be, but I also know that without your Holy Spirit, nothing can happen, for apart from you, nothing can happen. So I'm asking you to do something this morning, Lord, to speak, no matter the words of the speaker, that the words in my mouth, the meditations in our hearts, and the thoughts in our, my mind and our mind would be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord God, you are our strength, our rock, and you are my Redeemer. Amen. I want to share something with you that I think you will kind of be surprised about. There are a lot of atheists out there, and one of the biggest ones well known is Richard Dawkins. Anybody ever heard of him? He's just all about it. I saw him uh, watching a few videos yesterday about... uh, confronting other people uh, who are believers, who believe in God, different things, and just shooting them down, shooting up, and spitting them out. And then someone asked him a question in an interview, and I really, really wanted to hear what he would say. And the question for him was, if you died, and there really was a God, what would you do? And he went on a tangent about how he didn't think God existed, and etc., but he said, if... If, he said, if there was a God, I would ask him one question, and this this question. Are you Buddha, Zoroaster, Shinto, the great spirit? Are you Allah, the God of the Muslims? Are you the Hindu God? Are you Jesus? Are you Yahweh? Are you Jehovah? Who are you that I might believe? Isn't that ironic that he said that I might believe in you, but I don't know who you are? I was shocked. The man just said, 
If I could have a connection with the real God and know who He is, I would believe. That is from an atheist. That stunned me. As a matter of fact, it stunned me so much I almost wept because he didn't realize his heart's cry was to know God. That's what he was really wanting to know. Who are you? That I might know you, call you by name, and love you, and believe in you. It's amazing, isn't it? Well, I have to tell you that a lot of times people don't believe in God for good reason in their mind, or they walked away from God for other reasons. A lot of times things happened in their life when they were younger that caused them to walk away from God. He, Mr. Dawkins, was no different. At one time he was a believer and walked away. There's another scientist who was a great thinker, became a believer, and he said he used to be a Christian, then he became a non-Christian and just believed in God, and then after a while he didn't believe in God anymore. And then one day, as he began to understand who God really was, and the idea of love and morality and good and life. He said he was walking out in nature and saw the beauty of the world. And in that moment, he believed. Changed his whole thinking. And now he's a believer. But what happens in us is our emotions are designed and fine-tuned for relationship with God. For love, to give love, receive love. We're created in the image of God. We are built to be in relationship. We are people who want to connect. Our emotions are designed also to prepare us for action, for movement, whatever we might be feeling at that moment. If we're um, full of anxiety or fear and trepidation, like we're in a uh, dangerous situation, we, we are alerted that maybe we might be needing to run away. Our adrenaline, our heart rate, all these things start to happen and our emotions kick in and we're on heightened awareness. It's survival mode. To make sure that we're ready to fight, flight, or um, do some other thing that will help us to survive. But these emotions alert us to our true situation and help guide choices that ultimately must become physical behavior. Here's the thing though. To be healthy and functional, God designed it that we need to be able to feel and connect all of our emotions at different times depending on what they are. Even the less pleasant ones. Sometimes people say anger is a bad emotion. It's not. It's one of them. It's one that people call negative. It's not. Anger can be very positive. It can create great change and bring about God's work. Look at Jesus in the temple. He was angry. He cleaned out the temple. He did a righteous act in His anger. It didn't mean He was feeling negative. It meant He was feeling a righteous indignation for the destruction of God's temple as a place of prayer. Maybe you've uh, felt different emotions in your life, but one of them is survival. If you've ever crossed the street in an unfamiliar environment and you saw someone there carrying a knife or walking hostily or... Um, looking threatening, you might feel some trepidation about that or fear at a level that gives you some awareness. That's the beginnings of that survival mode. It's a good thing. Not a bad thing. You were made that way. You need that fear to help you make good choices. 
There's been some studies on animals that were incapable of feeling fear. Do you know what they found out? They don't survive very long. Oh, big lion? I'm not afraid. Well, now he's lunch meat. Because he wasn't afraid of a lion and he should have been. And it's also true for us. If we don't have the ability to feel fear, we'll step in deep water, burn ourselves without fear. All sorts of situations. Fear is necessary. But we usually have too much fear in our lives rather than too little. And this fear can be destructive and crippling. We need the capacity though to feel it. And we need the capacity to feel every single emotion that we have as it's needed in the proper circumstance. Here is the thing. We have a challenge in our lives of connecting. In Scripture, we talk about the Garden of Eden and how Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship. Didn't have to toil or work Everything was fed by the streams and the rivers that flowed through there. All they had to do was enjoy the creation and take dominion over the animals and do what God asked. There was no need for fear because the animals were not violent at that time. It was a beautiful, harmonious situation. That water that came through there was living water. Godly water. Similar to the water that's mentioned in Revelation 22 where it says there was a water, a stream, a crystal clear flowing river flowing from the throne. It was the river of life. That river of life was flowing through the Garden of Eden and when that happened, they were able to drink of it, drink deeply of it, and be eternal with God until they ate the forbidden fruit. However, if you remember the story, when they ate the fruit, God came a-walking. He came looking for them. He wanted to spend time with them. He wanted that relationship with them. It says in the cool of the day. I don't know what time of day that is, but in the cool of the day, God came looking and walking for fellowship. That connection was inborn in God. And it's inborn in us. It's part of His nature to connect with His creation, which is you and me. It's inborn in us to want to connect with God even if we don't believe He exists. That connection, you can't hardwire out of yourself. I believe that that Holy Spirit water is what that kind of water represents, is the Holy Spirit in us. The living water Jesus talked about that would flow out of us when we believed in Him. I believe that's the same water that flows from the throne of God and that flowed through Eden that had a great possibility. And I like to look at it like this, that everything's harmonious, everything's great. In Isaiah 12 it says to drink deeply from the wells of salvation, or the waters of salvation. I don't know if you've ever read that passage, but I want to share it with you. And it gives me this idea that there's a peaceful stream, beautiful, 
And no bugs, you know, type thing. Nothing dangerous or threatening. And when I think about something that reminds me of harmony, I think of a beautiful, slow-flowing brook. It says in Isaiah 12, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. There's that fear again. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song, and He is my salvation. In verse 3, Therefore with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. If God is our salvation, then we're drawing water with joy out of Him. And that water is that living, peaceful, joyous, harmonious, perfect situation that Adam and Eve had and blew it. That's the kind of vision I have of a perfect, comfortable, welcoming, relaxing place. If someone asks me, what would I like to do on a hot summer day? I would like to go there. I would like to lay in those waterfalls, swim in that, and just enjoy it. In my, in my mind, the water's not bitterly cold and not overly hot. It's just perfect. And that kind of is that tranquility that I'm talking about. That tranquility, that peace, some folks call it homeostasis. Homeostasis is a state of physical and psychological balance. It's when you have that peace in your life in those moments when everything's just right. We sense or perceive no pressing survival needs, no fear, no anxiety, no hunger, uh, nobody coming after us, no threats whatsoever. We feel physically and emotionally safe, completely at harmony where we're at. Kind of like laying in the water and just, wow, no stress. (laughs) How many of you all have a moment in your week where there's no stress? And how long does it last? Isn't there always something in the back of your mind going, I got to do this sooner or later and this is going to cause me stress? Or I got to go back to work in a few days or a few minutes and that's going to cause me stress. Anybody like that? Anybody here got a stress free full day ever? It's tough, isn't it? To try to live that way. When we're in this place called homeostasis, We experience positive emotions and feelings like joy, love, uh, peace. When we're in survival mode, we don't feel any of that. It's gone. Unpleasant emotions can come up, but every type of negative emotion that we've ever felt is designed for one overriding purpose, to get us back to that peace. When Jesus cleared the temple, it wasn't to make everything an uproar. It was to get the place to a place of peace again. That is what we're longing for. It's where our bodies and our brains want us to be whenever possible. And it works every single moment, even when we're stressed, to get to peace. To feel like we're completely in tune again. Connection is what we hunger for. We feel connected in that moment where everything fits. It's perfect. It's an energy that exists between people also when we feel valued, when we feel seen and heard by the people around us. 
when they can give and receive without judgment, and so can we. And we derive sustenance and strength from that relationship. But I want to tell you that somewhere in life, that fell down. That began to be a hopeful pipe dream. There was a time in our life when we were about two, (laughs) maybe three or four, when this statement was true for us. That we felt seen, heard, valued, and we felt like the world was a perfect place. We didn't know there was such a thing as a hateful, cruel, threatening world at that age. But something along the way happened, and we realized that this world is not always safe. Which is why God gave us those survival emotions and behaviors in the first place. Because the world isn't always going to be safe. Not everybody's going to want our best interests. If you walk into a jungle and there's a hungry lion there, you're not going to feel safe. And that's good. You need that. There's a problem though. The problem is, in our lives, when we learn that this world isn't safe, generally we learn that it's people that make us feel unsafe rather than the world. I heard one person say once, It'd be easy to be a Christian in a world if nobody else was in it. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine so. It'd be easy to love everybody if it'd be just you. It'd be easy to get along with everybody because nobody else is there. As soon as you throw other people into the mix, there's all these wants, dreams, wishes, desires for what things could be, should be, and might be, and it all clashes. If you don't believe me, look at the Middle East. It's always in an uproar for people wanting land, space, religion, or whatever in a very small section of this world to be the way they want it. And guess what? They don't connect on their ideas. They talk about their differences. The things that are not the same. The things that are not acceptable according to what they believe so that they're not allowed to relate or connect with anybody else that is different. Wars and fights come from that. Always has, always will. The truth is, we're hardwired to connect with other people. As I said, God wanted relationship with us. And He desired it in the very depth of who we are. That's what gives purpose and meaning to our lives. And without that connection, there's pain. We suffer inside. And I don't know about you, but that disconnect, that's what I like to call it, a disconnect from other people, that's when we operate out of damaged emotions, damaged beliefs, and we've left Eden. And this world no longer is a place where I can feel at home safe and secure. Now I have to protect myself from certain people, certain events, certain things. And survival mode becomes normal because survival mode is defined as stress. Stress is part of survival mode. Didn't know if you knew that. But I want to tell you, if you're like me and you've had that evade your life and invade how you respond your worldview 
has a problem. You've fallen away from Eden and God wants to bring you back. There's a virus, if you will, in your thinking. Sometimes we call that stinking thinking. But I want to share with you something that Jesus in our Scripture for today was asked a question when a man who was born, born blind. They asked Jesus a question. Did this man sin or was it his parents that sinned? Here is the mental mindset based on fear and what they were taught. If you're born blind, that means somebody caused it that was sinful. Either the child before he was born sinned or his parents did. That's their worldview. If there's pain and suffering, somebody sinned. Jesus said there is another answer which you miss. And what did He say? He said, neither He nor His parents sinned. Oh, there's a switch. It had to be one or the other, Jesus. Which one? He said, neither one. Oh, then, who caused it? To be born blind. And Jesus said this, you won't like the answer. He said, God. God caused this man to be born blind. But, but Jesus, God wouldn't cause pain and suffering in this man's life. God wouldn't do that. God's not like that. If, I don't want to believe in a God like that. That's mean. That's cruel. I can't deal with that. A lot of people walk away from God. But he said this, don't miss what Jesus said along with that, that it was for his glory that he was born blind, for God's glory. What do you think is more glorious? A man could see and walk normal, a well-born healthy baby, or a baby that is completely unable to see to be healed? Which one is more powerful for God? In our minds. Well, a natural born healthy baby comes along all the time, but a baby born blind doesn't get to see very often. So that's probably, it seems to be a greater power of God, right? And Jesus said that the power of God would be manifested in this man's life is why he was born that way. For God's power to be in him. Now let me ask you a question. And this is where this thing starts to get a little closer to the home of what we're talking about. If God gave you an affliction to draw you closer to Him, would you thank Him for it? Paul said, three times I prayed that God would remove this thorn in my flesh. And he said, no, my grace is enough for you. You don't need healed from that. And Paul said, I've learned that my weakness is God's strength. So do we thank Him for our weaknesses? Or do we complain about them and wish we didn't have them? And tell God this isn't fair. I imagine this man born blind said, life isn't fair a lot of times. 
Our worldview does not account for God's action once we've been thrown out of Eden. Those men had asked Jesus who sinned, their worldview was not accounting for the fact that God was trying to connect with them too. That God is trying to connect with this man born blind and his parents and the people who would see God's glory. They didn't see that there could be peace and joy and harmony in someone who is blind. Because that just doesn't seem normal. Doesn't seem right. Their worldview is somebody born blind is not a godly thing. We were taught that someone who has a deficiency, a defect, or is different is not healthy, is not acceptable, is not wanted. Again, I defer over to the Middle East crisis. They're always fighting because the other people are different than what they believe. They don't act the same way. They're not from the same lineage. That is a human choice, not God's. God desires that all would live in harmony and fellowship. Amen? In harmony, peace, and fellowship, and unity of the brethren to connect on a deeper level rather than push people away. Why? Because that would mean we're acting out of a dysfunctional relationship with others. I'm hardwired to connect to you, but if I reject you, I'm going against God's system for me. The way I was built. Even atheists can't get away from the hardwire. Hardwire meaning that's the way you're built. You can't change that. Technology, social networking, all supposed to bring people together, all those dating sites and things like that. But some people believe that technology is creating emotional disconnection rather than connection. You might say, well, I don't know about that. Well, text someone and say, where are you? And see what kind of response you get. Depending on the situation, they may act angry, defensive, or here I am right here. You can't read emotional context in three words, where are you, can you? Not like on a phone, talking, where are you? Or face to face, where were you? There's an emotional disconnect in putting words there. And I realized that the other day when I was texting one of the guys I know and I said, I'm really upset with this guy and I'm going to let him have it in his text right here. And I'm going, wow. That seemed kind of immature. I don't think I need to do that. So I I didn't send it. Instead I said, I hope you're doing okay. Do you understand? We are disconnected in this technological age. We are faster, more information. There's more information available now than ever in all of history and we don't even have it to use. We just take our corner and we don't go out of it. We don't connect. We wait for people to connect to us. And so what happens, we all walk around feeling disconnected. Everybody feels like they're alone in a world of 7 billion people. I'm so alone. There's 7 billion people in this world. How can you feel alone? God's always with you. How can you feel alone? Let me tell you something. That feeling of loneliness is a survival mode skill. It is an emotion. It's proof that your search for connection is intact. 
I'm lonely. Guess what? You're made for relationship. And you can't get relationship in text. you got to come walking and talking and sharing time. That is how we connect. That's how God did it. We're no different. So in Eden, we start with a sense of peace, joy, harmony, or homeostasis. It all means the same thing. Where everything's right in the world. But what happens to us? Pain. Something hurts us. There's troubles. There's trials. We can't drink from the water because people tell us we're not worthy of it. Or we don't deserve it. Or we're not allowed to go there. Someone restrains us or tells us that isn't really God's water. Or God doesn't exist. That's not living water. Why drink it? All that pain begins to envelop us. We believe peace is impossible now, at least not at that moment. It's unsafe. But we crave our body's desire to get things back in balance, back in peace. No stress. Back in that cool stream again. And oh, we think about those moments and those moments are so few and far between. But what now is normal is we have to protect ourselves. We have new beliefs that are generated and validated and repeated that tell us, yes, i got to protect myself from this world and people because they're not safe. You see it all the time. Bigger missiles, bigger defense bases, greater wars, greater armies, all for protection rather than connection. Because this world is not safe because I don't trust them. And you know what the world says about this? Well, that's normal. That's normal. That's how it is. That's how it's always been. And you can keep expecting it because it will not change. Our worldview becomes about looking out for number one. It's about me and my family and everybody else, whatever. I hate that word, whatever. You know what it means? I disconnect. I do not connect. I detach and leave you. We believe love at this point in our life now is earned, found, or based on self-worth. That we've earned love. This is what the world teaches us, that we have to produce to be valuable, that we have to be lovable to be loved, that we have to give in order for someone to want to give back. And we're all hungry and thirsty for something better. Here's how I look at this. And this picture on the screen may be kind of... I think it looks right. Yeah. If you see, there's two folks in a kayak at the front and two single folks in the back. The two folks in the back are trying to get together to be in a two-man kayak with a man and a woman to make that connection so they can go through this peaceful place, this Eden together to connect and have this perfect life together. And isn't that what the fairy tales are all about? They lived happily ever after. Everything was good once they fell in love. And so once we meet somebody and we connect at a certain level... We're in the kayak together and here we are paddling together having a great life. By the way, I love kayaking. That's why I chose that image. Uh, If you ever want to go kayaking, sign me up as long as the water looks like that. 
And it's a slow rolling current. I don't want the rough stuff, and I'll show you what I mean but in a moment. But the folks in the front kayak there are together. They're paddling, and they're steering toward some rough water. But that rough water, they can manage. And when you get together, and you feel connected, and you have a relationship, and a marriage especially, you go, you know, there's going to be some tough times ahead, but we'll just navigate that together. After all, it's probably just a little ripple. Probably tough things ahead. Might have to worry about finances or where we're going to live or how many kids to have or how many grandkids our children should have. All those different things we think about. And um, water of life is calm. No stress, or so we think. Small troubles are easy. Oh, goodness gracious. But something happens because as we get to that first little turbulence there, maybe it's the one in the back. Maybe it's the one in the front of the kayak. Maybe it's one in the boat. They both want to drive the kayak. Well, this is how we're going to get through this. <laughs> this is how we're going to get through it, says the other one. No, no, no. We've got to do it like this. And guess what? The kayak's getting closer and closer to the water where it's starting to speed up. Oh, we got to, and they don't agree. There's a disconnect. For whatever reason, they can't agree on it. And so they feel, well, I thought you loved me regardless. So why won't you do what I say? Guess what? Asking someone to do what you say because they love you is a sense of disconnect and codependency. So here comes that little stream of water and everything starts to get a little rough. But the problem is, that little stream of water could be that the person who's trying to control the whole boat is angry that the other person won't let them. Now we have some more stuff in the picture. If I'm angry, I'm in survival mode. So I'm going to survive, and if you try to steer me one way, I'm going to force you to go another way, and whoever's stronger wins. Sounds like an argument. Sounds like a fight, doesn't it? It is. And i got to share with you, when it gets bad enough, one person gets out of the kayak and says, you go ahead, I'm going to watch you. I'm not going to do that. You go on. And you go on down that emotional roller coaster, I'm not going with you. That's healthy, actually. Doesn't mean they've left them. It means they're not going down that emotional roller coaster. But there's a disconnect that begins to happen when we believe that someone doesn't trust us enough to do what we want to do. Hmm. There are a lot of triggers and things that throw us into this disconnect. It could be that someone looked at us funny. Had a bad tone in their voice or whatever it would be. But we're thrown into an unnecessary state of survival mode thinking that we're not connected in that moment with the person we love. It's not safe now. I have to put up walls, defenses, shields. And I hope we make it through this little trouble together. But I don't know because I've just been so used to survival. I don't know how it is to thrive and prosper. This core fundamental disconnection between the brain and the body. Intrusion and imposition of survival mode when it's not necessary. It leads to more disconnection and what you do or who 
you truly care about becomes different than what you actually do. You have a disconnect from your behavior. Once this happens, this drive to get that peace, harmony, constantly fights against that. And you feel it inside when you're arguing with someone, you go, why can't we just agree? When did this happen? I just want peace. It's all I want. The worst part about it is when that drive for that peace in us is ignited, it tries to make it work out, but we've now learned how to do it by responding to the pain around us that in our previous experiences that doesn't always work today. For example, some of us may have been um, learned to be shy or shy away from someone who's angry and just kind of shirk back. I was like that. If someone was yelling, I always withdrew. Well, guess what? If someone's yelling now, I can't do that all the time. I, if it's a four-year-old yelling, I'm, I used to shirk back from a four-year-old yelling. And I couldn't understand why for a long time. It's because I learned when my dad yelled, trouble was coming. Trouble's coming. Better get back away. Better make it calm. If you step back, it'll get quiet. So just be quiet. Four-year-old yelling and you're quiet, they're going to get louder. <laughs> Doesn't work. But what I'm saying is that desire for that peace makes us go into survival mode and we think, well, this is what's supposed to work. Here's another way to look at that. Say, um, say your parents taught you that you had to do certain things. That you had to love. Uh, you had to earn good grades. You had to do a good job or you didn't believe they loved you. So, you get into another relationship and you're going, look, I'm working hard. I'm keeping my place neat. I'm doing all the things that earn me love because that's what my parents taught me to learn. We don't say that out loud. It's in the back of our brain. That's what my parents taught me to love and how love works. So therefore, I'm going to work with you. Well, guess what? Sometimes people love us just because. Some people love us in spite of the fact that we do all that. Sometimes people love us before we do that. We don't earn it. Once we believe we earn it, deserve it, or aren't worth it, our lives are messed up. And once that happens, that peace inside of trying to earn it to get back to that calmness is an overdrive. It's now survival mode to get back to peace. I'll do whatever I have to to get peace in this house. You ever heard that? I'll do whatever I need to make sure that there is no more fighting. I've heard that before. Different families say that. The problem is the things that we're doing to get that peace don't work anymore. Because they're not based on the loving, living flow of God's water, but rather on survival skills. Doesn't work. So we start going down the water, but the other person got out. They're out of the boat now. Here we go down this emotional turbulence, and we're going, they don't love me. They're not, they're not caring for me. Well, looking here at the bottom, down in the corner, you can't see it real well, but there's the other boat. They got in a different boat and beat you to the end. They stayed away from all the mess that you had and went around a shortcut and said, as soon as you're done being mad, come on back. 
Well, our emotions and our survival skill gets in the way, don't they? Of true relationship. And we go on a ride. Turbulent, crazy. Folks, I look at that picture and, and I, I guess you can see how steep those falls are. There's people do that for fun. In a kayak, if you know what you're doing and you're skilled, it is fun. Now I want to show you something. See these kayaks? Not that you can see it real well in the picture, but those are the kind you sit on top of. Your legs, your body, all of it are on top of the boat. This guy is in a boat that is in a hole and it's got a rubber shield on it so no water can get inside. Only thing sticking out is his torso. That's it. Everything else is waterproof because he's going to get wet. These folks don't want to get wet. Fact of the matter is in life you're going to get wet. Something's going to happen. It's going to upset the boat. Going to happen. Well, I don't know about you, but hopefully it's not me and my emotions driving this thing into the craziness of life. But it could be. My survival skill could say, I'm, I'm about to die. I'm about to die because you, you want to go home without me. And that survival skill is feeling threatening. And so this is how we feel inside. But the fact of the matter is that this situation doesn't call for that. Not at all. They're just, I'm just going home now. You can come later. It's okay. And we, then all of a sudden we feel stupid. Well, here's another picture and this is what I think you might be able to relate to. Guy's going down a pretty nasty fall, but look at the other two folks that are watching him. They're going... I'm not riding in that with you. I wasn't raised that way. And the guy on the boat's looking at them going, Get in the boat with me! Get in the boat or you don't love me! Do it my way or you don't love me! They're going, I'm not riding in that mess. Come on! <laughs> Could you imagine a two-person kayak trying to navigate that, one going one way and one the other way? I promise you, I don't want to go on that kayak ride either. And that's people do for fun too. Well... I thought that was great till I saw this. And you see the guy, there's one guy. See him right there coming down? That's a one-person kayak. He's already navigated all that water, he's going down that last little spill. But on the side there, out of the mess, not in the falls, is a two-person kayak. They've navigated the storms together and they don't have to go all the way down to destruction. They chose to get out of the mess that the world says you've got to keep going forward in. And they're sitting on the side of the rock watching everybody else go that last plunge and every last one of them is all alone. Because nobody wants to go down with somebody else in that kind of mess. And a person by themselves in the boat looks at the two on the boat there and says, I don't know where my partner is but nobody cares. Look at me, I'm going down, nobody cares. I'm going down this big waterfall. I'll probably drown in that pool. Nobody cares. I don't matter. My life is horrible. You know what I'm saying? It's almost like Eeyore. It's a horrible life. And we begin to live that way. And we see people who live that way trying to draw people into their misery, into their mess. And the people on the side are looking like, that's not my mess. And that isn't how you have to live. You can get out of the water. You don't have to stay in that mess. Well, he gets down to the falls. And there comes a time 
when people are really brave, they do that. That's a kayak. See him? He's paddling. <laughs> He's paddling going down a 35 foot drop. I've seen these on video before. There is no way I'm ever going to do that. But I'll do it emotionally. I'll get going full speed, whatever my emotions do in survival skill, and I'm paddling all the way, making it even worse. And in that moment, I feel like it's too late. And I'll bet that guy says, it's too late. This is an impossible situation. I can't get peace. This is a roaring waterfall. I'm on the waterfall. I'm all alone. I'm disconnected. I can't get back to Eden. And then the world is one. Because God isn't strong enough to bring His hand in the midst of the situation and change it. So what seems impossible, back to Eden, peace, harmony, or a sense of godly homeostasis where God's in control and we know it, it's still possible with Jesus. Why? Because we're hardwired and our hearts are still crying out for connection. Even when we're going down. But now we don't know how to ask for help. We say, nobody cares. It's too late for me. Instead of saying, somebody, I need to connect with you. God, I need you to come now and walk with me in the cool of the day. This trust breakdown is a symptom that we're in the world's view of things. There are a lot of symptoms of this whole breakdown of communication and lack of connection. We don't have trust. We, uh, we feel depressed or anxious easily. We're always stressed. We don't have enough time. There's not enough hours in the day, let alone minutes in the hour. We still need connection. We still need to feel like we belong, that we matter. One of the things I love about this church is it's a family church. And we belong here. You belong here. You're a part of this family. And we're going to do things as a church to make sure that every single person who walks through that door feels like they belong here including Sunday school classes for all ages. Ways to put this out on Facebook, sermons and things like that, where we have 900 or 1,000 people listening who are locked up in penitentiaries. That this word can go out. And I saw this picture, and my heart just felt good. And this is a feel-good picture in my mind. Doesn't that just make you feel like, wow, they're connected. There's love there. They've made something that matters. Holding hands, as simple as that, says, I want to be with you, and I'm glad you want to be with me. But in that moment, all that junk, all the pain where we've learned to protect ourselves, that if someone is trying to hurt us, we have to walk away or fight back or defend or whatever we choose to do in that moment that the world has taught us, tells us, that the pain in our life wasn't from God. That we were born blind and somebody else sinned or we did. And Jesus said sometimes that's for the glory of God. God doesn't always give you the people you want. He gives people you need in your life. Sometimes they hurt you. Sometimes they help you. 
Sometimes they leave. The most painful word in the English language, I think, is gone. People who will love you and people who will make you the person God intended for you to be. Telling God others people who cause you pain isn't His plan. It's telling God He doesn't know what He's doing with your life. Sometimes God wants that to happen so you can grow beyond that and be healed into a restored relationship with God, which is a lot better than being healthy all along and never knowing what God's redemptive love is like. All this low esteem, earning love ideas, anger, depression, everything out of kilter, out of uh, this dysfunction in this world, tells us we need God more than ever and His pure water to flow through us and get out of the junk that this world says is normal. God is calling us to come back, to return to Him. We are corrupt, folks. Trust, hope, peace, connection are still possible. These things have not been lost to us. This world may be at odds with one another, but it doesn't mean they don't want to connect. Every person who walks through the door of this building wants to know that someone cares. And they need to know that so they can connect on a one-to-one level. You can't connect with a group. You connect one-to-one. It says God came looking in the garden for Adam. Not Adam and Eve. One person at a time to connect. And yet we're afraid. Our greatest adversary is fear. Tells us we can't have what God says we can. Don't have what God says we do. And can't be God what God says we are. This fear is the opposite of mature love. 1 John 5.18 tells us that. Mature love. This word mature, teleos, it's a complete love that doesn't have fear in it or survival needs, but rather that sense of peace and harmony that God instilled in us in the Garden of Eden that He reinstills in us at Calvary. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. The sin effect, take it away. God didn't give us the spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. That's 1 Timothy. And here's what God tells us. I will not cause pain without allowing something new and better to be born out of it. In Celebrate Recovery, we have a phrase that says, God never wastes a hurt. In Romans, it tells us God works all things together for good to those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. His purpose means what God intends for your life. That God's going to take all the pain and hurts and stuff in your life if you'll allow Him to, to get you out of the junk in this world's flow and out of the waterfalls and cascades into the stream of God's love. Why would you want to live in that mess in those cascades and that waterfall which says this is normal? God said that's not normal. You go through that stuff by yourself because it's all emotional turbulence and anger built up from the fears that have been parlayed inside of us over and over again. And I have to share this with you. You don't have to live like that. You don't have to. God gave you freedom to be free from the bondage of this world and He sets you free to be free. So you would never be entangled 
by a yoke. Think about water and those cascades. Is they're going to go to their own level. They're going to keep going down. As long as you stay in the water, you're going with it. But if you get out and sit on the side, you don't have to be a part of that. There's a thing that God's trying to do here. He's trying to share with you that peace is possible. That a stress-free life is available. And the world says, no, it's not. As you know, this country is the most stressed country in the world and we got more stuff than anybody else. It's true. Stress will kill you. Slowly, sometimes, quicker at other times. But God is trying to get us out of that mess. Out of that cascade. And into the peace and harmony He says we can have through the blood of Christ. This morning, as we think about our lives and stuff in our lives where things have hurt us before, I have a question for you. Do you think And thinking about if anybody's ever hurt you in your life, ever. Do you think if the person who hurt you was totally connected to God, loved you, and wanted a relationship with you, and knew how to love, do you think they would intentionally hurt you? If they knew the scars and damage you would have and the hindrances and handicaps on relationships for the rest of your life. Do you think they would do that? The answer is no. They wouldn't do that if they knew it was going to hurt you. They'd rather connect with you because they're connected to God who's love and they want to pour that out to you. So think about this for a moment. If someone has hurt you, it's because they weren't connected to God. In that moment, they weren't connected with the source of peace and love and hope and joy, harmony, the homeostasis that we drive for. They weren't part of that. Which means every pain and suffering that people have inflicted on people comes from lack of connection with God. Lack of connection with the source of love and that relationship. And so if someone's hurt you, it's because they were messed up. And it messed you up. That is called sin being passed on. Their sin of not being connected to God had that effect on your life. And that effect on your life is what hinders you in living out the Gospel in all its fullness now. Oh great, there's 10,000 people who have hurt me. What am I supposed to do about that? Understand this. If they didn't do it to hurt you. And maybe some did. But God didn't intend it for your bad. What they intended for bad, God meant for good. And God's going to work it out for His purposes when you get in His plan and choose mature, full-grown love rather than the fear of the consequences of people trying to love you. This world has got us all back. We're already loved completely in the Father through Jesus Christ. We already are valuable and infinite worth. And we're still trying to buy into that. God says it's already done. We're already there. 
But we're still in this river of junk all by ourselves, disconnected from God because we think we have to drive the boat to get there. And God just simply says, get out of the water. This morning I'm asking you to get out of the water. That water. And to get in to Jesus Christ and let Him be the living water that's in you. One way or another, you're going to have the water. You're either going to be in this world's force and pull, or you're going to be in the water of Christ that flows through you. There is no other way around it. And I imagine that there's a lot of people in this room that say, yeah, you're right, what am I supposed to do? First thing you got to do is forgive the person. You can't forgive their sin, but forgive that person who's hurt you. Because if they really knew how to love you, they wouldn't have done it. Since they don't know how to love, and they didn't have that connection with God, that's forgivable. That person's forgivable. Because they really probably really wanted to love you in the first place. If they were really connected like they're supposed to be. So broken people make broken people. You don't have to remain broken. You can get out of that broken mess and get back into the grace of God which has love, power, and a mind that thinks properly in terms of God and others. This morning I'm asking you to do that. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we... We come from all places in our lives, our minds, our emotions. They go haywire. We go, yeah, I really want this, but I don't know how. I don't even know what this homeostasis thing is, God, but I know I want peace. I know I want no stress. So God, whatever you got to do, if this is for me, show me. Heavenly Father, this morning, you told us if we're in Christ, we're a new creation. We can stand and look at the waterfall and mess around us and say, even an atheist is hungry for that connection. And the sad thing is, is he doesn't know his own pain behind the statement. He said it with pride rather than pain. Heavenly Father, you made us for you to be with you, to be with one another, to be family as one. So whatever's breaking that down, Lord, let us get out of that junk in our minds and our hearts and our relationships and stand on the sweet banks of that river that flows with life. Let us bathe and drink deeply from the waters of salvation again. That which You are. Renew us, restore us, encourage us, Heavenly Father. For this is the time for us. This is the day that You have made. We want to rejoice and be glad, joyful, and at peace in it. Heavenly Father, may that happen by Your Word. Amen. As we uh, prepare for our closing song...